Again, welcome to Catch the Fire. Um, every time I, I start a message, uh, I, I say this, and that's because we pretty much every week have new guests, and I want to give a, a framework for what we're talking about. And so I wanted to uh, just start off today like I do every day, and like I kind of joke, but kind of serious. I'm guessing by the end of the series we're in that the, the people who come regularly are going to know this verse by heart, but maybe not. We'll see. But anyway, I started a, uh, a series at the beginning of the year. Basically, the series is on the importance of adopting an eternal perspective. And so we've been just spending so many weeks on this because of the, the importance of this message. Like, I can't even emphasize enough how important it is. And, and as you guys know by now, it's all over the Bible. But unfortunately, it's pretty much neglected in the church. And uh, there's different reasons for that. My guess is because it can be uncomfortable at times, right? How many can say amen to that if you've been here for a while? But nonetheless, critical. Critical to as a message in terms of building our foundation as believers. Now, um, to show you what I'm talking about, this verse, like I said, I use this every week, to show you why and how this is so important. If you're missing this in the foundation of your walk with the Lord, then... How many of you know that it can, it can be disastrous? If, our, if we're not building our foundation on what Jesus says this needs to be in your foundation, it can have eternal repercussions. So this is from Hebrews 6, 1 to 2. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Now, I always emphasize this because these are the elementary school Christianity 101 teachings of Jesus Christ. And be taken forward to maturity, meaning you need these in place in order to mature in your walk with the Lord. Not laying again the foundation. Again, foundation. So he's going to list six things here that are foundational to our walk with the Lord. So these, number one, repentance from acts that lead to death. The faith of God. Instruction about cleansing rites. The laying on of hands. The resurrection of the dead. And eternal judgment. And I have that one highlighted because that's essentially what we're talking about in this series. More specifically, uh, I'm, I'm talking broader than just judgments. I was talking about eternity and trying to grapple with that, the first couple messages. But we've been focusing a lot on, on eternal judgments because that is actually what the foundational doctrine is. Now, we spent some weeks, just for, for those of you who weren't here, talking about the judgment of unbelievers. We talked about hell. We talked about some of that difficult stuff. Then we shifted a few weeks ago talking about heaven. Now we're on to talking about judgment of the believers, So, which is a lot more relevant to most of us, right? I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us in this room, are saved. And so this message is probably the most pertinent not this one today, but this, however long I'm going to be talking about, this is the most pertinent to us as believers. Because we all have to stand before Jesus one day and give him an account for everything we've done, everything he's entrusted to us. Someday we're going to meet him face to face and actually have to give an account for everything. Now, last week I started talking about that. I devoted a whole message talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And so I'm not going to 
Uh, if you're interested, by the way, since we have some new people here, um, we post the messages every week on Facebook, and we also send them in our weekly newsletter. And so if, if you're interested in hearing last week's message or any of this, these messages from this series, uh, feel free to either email us or go online and you can find them. But today I want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ, specifically living without eternal regret. Like I said, the, the, the judgments in Hebrews 6, 2 are actually called eternal judgments. What does that mean? That means they're never, ever, 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 ever going to change. The judgments, the decisions are, that are made on the day we meet Jesus face to face are forever. There's no parole. A million, a trillion years from now, he's not going to revise the decisions that are made on that day. So that day is the most important day of our entire lives, the day we meet him face to face, because then everything's laid bare, and how we live this temporal life, which is like nothing in the grand scheme of eternity, is going to determine how we live forever. Our positions in heaven, our rewards in heaven, all these things, and that's what I'm focusing on in the weeks to come, the judgment of the believers, because like I said, there's so many scriptures on it, and that's how I can, for those of you who don't know, I've been talking about this since January 3rd, this series, because there's so much on it, but it, the, the tragedy gets neglected for the most part in the, in the body of Christ, which is tragic. Because like I said, the most important day of our lives is when we meet him face to face. And I don't want any of us to meet him unprepared. I want us to be so prepared so that when we meet him, we can stand before him in confidence and not be ashamed. So something to consider I've already kind of said this, but each believer is going to stand before Jesus to give an account of what we did with what God gave us in this life. Now, our judgment will be a byproduct of how we respond to his Holy Spirit and to his word, what we believed in our obedience to it. We talked a lot about that last week. So our actions, our works, our words, our thoughts, and our motives will all be examined. And last week, if you remember, I went in detail giving scriptures on each one of those. We're, it's all getting laid bare, even our motives when we stand before them, we're going to be laid bare. So, to give you a scripture on what I want to emphasize today, this is from 2 Corinthians, and I'm just talking about two verses today. Uh, 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 sorry, chapter 5, verse 9 to 10. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all, that includes believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what's due us, the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Now, that's hard for us to understand, some of us, because what do you mean bad, right? Because he's talking to believers here. You mean there's going to be bad stuff that we have to, and the answer is yes. What does that bad stuff look like? That's what I'm going to be talking about today. Because if... If our assessment on that day is not good, then that's the bad part of it. And there's different, even though we're saved, even though we're saved and we love Jesus, we could have a bad assessment on that day. And what will happen, you know, over and over again, uh, Jesus talks about, if you do this, you'll be the least in the kingdom. If you do this, you'll be the greatest. We're going to be talking about what does it look like? What does it take for you to be considered the least in the kingdom? Okay, so I'm going to spend a, probably a couple sessions on this because it's good to be aware of these things so we can avoid the bad and only have good assessments when we meet him, right? That's our, our goal. That's what Paul's saying here. Our goal is to please him because we have to stand before him someday and give an account for everything. 
whether it's good or bad. Now, Solomon said something similar in Ecclesiastes. I talked about this last week, but it's, I love the, the end of Ecclesiastes. These are the last two verses. I love it. Now, this is uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. And we've talked about that, how it's the fear of the Lord that keeps us on the path of life. Okay, so, so when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, and, and it was the same, the very ver, uh, verse right after the scripture I just gave you in Corinthians says that. So now that we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade others. Right after he talks about the judgment seat of Christ, and we're talking about eternal judgments, when we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, often there's a tangible fear of the Lord, and that's a good thing, because it helps us keep on the path of life. And so if you're experiencing that, it's awesome. Okay, so this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So, living without eternal regret. So this is Hebrews uh, 9, verse 27. This is kind of an intense verse. It's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So we talked about how unbelievers, when we talk about heaven, right, there's the white throne judgment, and then there's judgment for believers. Whether that's going to take place in the same or different day, that's up for debate. Most, a lot of people believe it's separate judge, uh, times of judgment. Either way, we all, every single one of us, when we die, our life is going to be assessed, okay? So there is no second chance. Once you've died and stand before the Lord, and I've talked about this, it's, it's eternal judgments forever and ever and ever. People are going to experience deep regret if they did not live in the full energy of what the grace of God made available to us. And that's the grace to be abandoned to God completely. So that's a key point that I want to talk about today. It's possible for a person who loves God to experience regret at the way they live their lives. It's possible. How, uh, last week I told the story of Mike Bickle. How many of you are here last week? Okay, Mike Bickle, he's the leader of the International House of Prayer. Just quickly, when it, in 1978, when he was 23, he had this encounter where he just all of a sudden was before the Lord, Jesus Christ. And Jesus looked at him with seriousness and said, saved, but your life was wasted. And Mike Bickle could not believe that. He was shocked because he was on fire for the Lord. He was doing, and the Lord just didn't, did, just kept looking at him with that seriousness. And he said the pain of regret that he experienced to this day was the most painful experience of his entire life. I'm talking about Mike Bickle. He said to this day, he thinks about that experience, like not daily, but almost daily. He says multiple times a week because of how intense that was. So Mike tried to argue in his mind, wait, you must have the wrong person. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there is no way you can manipulate the man Christ Jesus. His judgments are true and there's, there's no changing it. What he, how he assesses you on that day, that's it. And that, there's no changing his mind. So then when Mike came to terms with that, he, st he started pleading with the Lord in his mind, give me a second chance, Lord. Give me a second chance. And the Holy Spirit gave him this scripture, Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. Meaning, that's it. There's no second chance. After the Lord uh, spoke that to him, he woke up. Or he was in a trance, I guess. But he was like five feet from his bed where it, uh, anyway. And he was crying and weeping. And his shirt was drenched with tears because of how much pain of regret he experienced. 
And the Lord told him and said, this was an act of his mercy, that he does not want that to be his assessment of Mike when he meets them one day. And he said, the Lord told Mike that if he lives the regular, normal Christian life that's acceptable in North America, that is going to be his assessment of him. So Mike made it his life aimed to avoid that negative judgment before the Lord. You see what I'm talking about? You can experience regret. You can. And so I want to talk about, that's what I'm talking about today, is to try and avoid that assessment. That's my heart, and I've, I've mentioned this before. My heart is that all of us would stand before the Lord one day and him say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Not the you wicked and lazy servant that he, talks to, that he gives to the one talent person. We'll talk about that in the future. But anyway, I want all of us. So how can we stand before the Lord with confidence? Learning about these things and understanding what it is we have to give an account for. And so I'm going to be spending however long talking about the different areas that we're going to be assessed on when we meet him face to face so that we can stand before him in confidence and not experience this regret. Because a lot of Christians, it's, it's, a, it's really a tragedy that they don't even think about this stuff. They go through life basically just not even thinking about this. Oh, I'm saved by grace, whatever. And they're just doing the normal thing that's the world's doing essentially, but you're a Christian. Don't even think about how their actions are impacting eternity. They're living for the day, the now, here and now. And if you go through life like that, never thinking about this, the assessment could be pretty bad, right? If, if we're not. So it's good for us to be considering these things and aware of them so that we can stand before him one day with confidence. So our goal is not just to make to heaven. Our goal is to be found faithful in the sight of the Lord on that day. That should be our goal, to be well-pleasing to him. Some erroneously believe that it's not a matter of how we live as long as we love Jesus, and that's wrong. There's so many scriptures, and I've been talking about these, that, okay, yeah, it's like, I'm talking about love Jesus, like, oh, I love the Lord, he loves me, that's all that matters, right? Grace, grace, grace. It doesn't, my actions don't matter because I'm saved. That's wrong. The Bible's clear that your actions matter a lot, and that you have to give an account someday for how you've lived after you were saved, in some ways, if you guys remember from Luke 12, it says, to whom much is given, much is required. So the more we're given, the more we have to give an account, right? You guys remember when I talked about that. So it's important that, okay, we've been given so much by the grace of God. We have his mercy, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice he made on our behalf. Now in light of that, how are you going to live? How tragic would it be if we stood before him and we did not live differently? If we just went through life never thinking about that, that would be horrendous. So that's what I'm saying here. Imagine the remorse you would feel once you're face to face with a Savior who loved you so much that he went and died for you on the cross. And your answer to him is, I didn't regard or esteem my commitment to you as worthy of living differently. I just lived like everyone else did horrible. I'm telling you, it's, you know, like right now it might be like, okay, yeah, that'd be pretty bad. But when, when it's actually happening and you're looking back, you're like, my life was wasted. I didn't live any different. That would be the most horrible experience that I could imagine. That's one of the things I fear most is regret on that day. So the refiner's fire. (laughs) going to be talking about this, so I'm, I'm leading up to something here. Now, this is a great quote by, how many of you have heard of J. Hudson Taylor? Really famous missionary to China in the 1850s. He was a medical doctor from England, and he had a really promising medical career ahead of him. 
And he went to China, gave it all. He, he learned the culture. He, he preached the gospel to the peasants of China, really a forerunner in this area. Got thousands of people saved. It was really a missionary movement. And his friends back home were like, what are you doing? He, like, you're wasting your life doing this. You're, right? Like, you have such a promising career. Why don't you come back to England, right, and, and fulfill the career here, the lucrative career you have ahead of you? And this was his answer. This was his life motto to those people. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Isn't that awesome? That was his answer to his friends who couldn't understand. Why aren't you living for now? That's essentially what they're saying. Why aren't you living for the day? He said, no way. I'm living for eternity. I'm living for Christ Jesus. Okay, because that's all that's going to count on the day when I meet him face to face. Not this temporal stuff. And he understood something. And I think that's a good life motto. That should be something we, we make our own. So... I've already kind of said this, but we'll be judged based on how we stewarded everything God's entrusted to us. And last week I talked about even the minute stuff. I'm not like, I'm not saying the major ministry he's given you. I'm talking about your daily responses, right? In, in, in regular conversation, how you live your, your life daily with the mundane stuff. Also, everything he's entrusted to you. And we live in Canada. We've been entrusted with a lot. We are rich, Compared, if you're talking on the grand scheme of things relative to the rest of the world, we are rich. Even if you're poor in Canada, poor, you're rich. So we have a lot to give an account for in this nation. And so it's something for us to consider, okay? God's entrusted a lot. We're in this amazing nation where it's peace. God willing, that'll stay this way. And we don't even, can't even fathom what's happening in other countries because we just never experienced it, right? We have so much. So how are you living in light of that is the question. Let's not live like the church of Laodicea who had the same problem. They were rich and in deception because they thought because of that they're doing well with the Lord, but they weren't at all. So my point is it's possible to suffer loss and have your, get this, entire life's work burnt up. Everything. Not, it's possible to have everything burnt up. I'm going to give you scripture in a minute on this. This includes how we spend our time, how we spend our money, and the seemingly insignificant and mundane aspects of our life. Everyday matters. And that's, that's encouraging, right? Because sometimes it's hard if, to adopt an eternal perspective. It's like, okay, I'm raising kids or whatever. You know, I'm doing this job. I don't like it. Every single interaction you have is an opportunity to have eternal re- ramifications, whether good or evil. Everyday matters. And that's good. Because sometimes mon- the mundaneness of life gets like, oh, does this matter? And it does. Every th- moment matters. Every moment's an opportunity to live for eternity. So this is a really well-known uh, uh, verse scripture on this. Can you go back one, um, Jennifer? To, uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. Paul talking, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than that what's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's a key point. The foundation in your walk with the Lord is Jesus Christ, nothing else. Okay, so no one else can lay a foundation other than that. So that we're saved. That's the right, that's the foundation we build all of our entire lives on. Jesus Christ. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, we're talking about the eternal, okay, things that last, 
Way, or sorry, wood, hay, or straw, which is the temporal, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, talking about the judgment seat of Christ, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what's been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Okay, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about rewards too. Okay, so because how we live now, what we do now, is, is laying up for us treasures in heaven, Jesus says. So we have eternal rewards based on how we've lived our lives in devotion to Jesus. Okay? If it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Even though as one escaping through the flames. So the person's still saved, but every single thing, their entire work is burnt up. Does that make sense? That's the worst case scenario. And that's why I'm talking about this, so lest any of us have that happen, because that would be horrendous, right? So, just quickly go through each uh, different phrases in this last verse, because that's what I'm talking about today, 1 Corinthians 3.15, if it's burnt up. So our work on earth either endures or is burnt. The work that endures is rewarded. The work that's burnt receives no reward. The work that receives a reward is one which honors the word, is motivated by love, right? That's basically it. And is done before God's eyes instead of man's eyes, seeking his approval. So, Jesus talks, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks all about this on the Sermon on the Mount. If you're doing, if you're praying to be seen by others, that's your reward. If you're praying in the secret place for the Father, he sees that and then your reward will be in heaven, right? So, same act, different motives, What's your motive? If it's for the Lord, if it's genuine, then you'll be rewarded. And Jesus goes through a whole bunch of things. You guys know it, right? Fasting, giving. If it's done for the Lord, you got your reward. If you do it for other people to be seen by them, it's all burnt up. That's the temporal that he's talking about. So if it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss. Now, the reason I want to emphasize this is that Like I already said, it's possible, think about this, he's talking about believers, to suffer loss on that day. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you can't suffer loss. So there's an element of suffer if you've squandered this life and lived for the temporal realm. They'll have the pain of regret stinging their spirits, like I talk about Mike Bickle's vision, because it'll be forever lost. You're going to have to live forever with the knowledge that you live selfishly on this life. Forever. And it's going to be apparent. And we're going to talk about this. There's actually rank in heaven. There's positions. There's authority. Depending how you're positioned in heaven actually shows how you lived on earth forever. The clothing you wear, interestingly enough. The authority you have. All of that's determined by how you live now. So everyone forever is going to see, okay. And they'll know. That person lived for themselves, or that person really lived for the Lord based on all of that. So the key point is it's possible to suffer the loss of some of our potential reward for eternity, which means you can get a partial or no reward. There's a partial reward scenario, there's a no reward scenario, which is the verse I just shared with you. What am I talking about? There's a verse in 2 John verse 8. It says, watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. What he's saying is there's a 
possibility to have a full reward for your work, but it's also possible not to have a full reward is what he's saying, right? Be careful you don't lose what you've worked for in this life. And we're going to be talking about that more later. In Revelation 3.11, Jesus warns us, don't let anyone steal your crown. He's talking about the reward of the crown for overcoming. Don't let anyone steal that. How can people steal it? False teachings, saying it doesn't matter how you live, it's all by grace, whatever. Now, grace matters. And I should say this because there's new people here. Of course, we are saved by grace through faith, period. Salvation. We're talking about salvation. If you get into works and you're like, hey, works to get saved, that is error to the nth degree. That being said, once you're saved, works matter a lot, okay, in terms of what I'm talking about today. So it's not you're gaining salvation, okay? And that's part of the issue we've had in the, I think the reason people shy away from this in the Protestant streams that most of us are from, it's like works are such a, like it's like a swear word, right, because of what happened historically. But yeah, no, if, if you're gaining salvation by works, that is bad. But unfortunately, as a consequence, throughout the baby with the bathwater, it's clear scripturally, and I've given you tons of scriptures on this, that your works matter, and you're going to be assessed based on your works. And so works really matter for that reason. So, 1 Corinthians 13, 15. Now, I talked about this. So if it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. So saved as through fire. This phrase describes one who survives a burning building. Think of this imagery. By escaping through the flames, yet loses all that's carried with them. Think of the imagery. Like, you're saved as though through fire. Like, like imagine someone, house, their house is on fire. Everything's getting consumed. They barely make it out of the house from the skin of their teeth. They're saved, but every single thing in their house, including their house, is gone. That's the imagery he's using here. That's pretty intense, isn't it? And that's a possibility is what's more intense. Okay? So they're pulled from the fire just in time, but they lose everything. Your life's work, your ministry, everything gone. So this phrase is taken from some Old Testament writers who spoke of a firebrand being plucked uh, from the burning. So some examples are Amos 4.11, Zechariah 3.2, also Jude 23 quotes those. All that to say, it's, it's alluding to this Old Testament imagery. It's just kind of making it through, right, and salvation. So it says that this man will be saved, but saved as though through the fire, which means the fire revealed the temporary dimension of how he invested his life only on temporary things. Because right before that, it talked about that, right? Wood, hay, and stubble. Talking about things that don't last. Invested, the person's investment in life was for temporal. Being seen by others, uh, just living for the day, living for salary, living for reputation, all the stuff that's getting burnt up. Okay? That's what it's talking about. So he's going to be saved, although there's a reality in the awareness that his investment in his life, mostly in temporal vanity while on the earth. His salvation is intact, and that's important. Talked about the foundation, right, of Jesus Christ, but he can't make up for the years spent in compromise. That cannot be recovered. And that's where the fear of the Lord comes in. This is, you know, you can live years in compromise. You can't get those years back. That's the weightiness of this. Now, Jesus isn't just going to wave a magical wand and all those years you spent in compromise are just going to be recovered somehow, right? There's, that's what I'm talking about with regret. There is something of, my goodness, I wasted 10 years or whatever, right? Oh, even a, a year 
that's what he's talking about, in temporal vanity, in backslidden, whatever. That's where the regret comes in. Everything burnt up for those 10 years, right? It can't be recovered. So that's, I'm saying this, I know that's weighty, but that's what this is talking about. It's talking about, right, lukewarmness, the church of Laodicea, where Jesus says, buy from me gold refined by the fire, right? So that you're not going to have to suffer this consequence of your lukewarmness, the deception of lukewarmness. So my point is, how we spend our time really, really, really matters. How we spend our money really, really, really matters. Honestly, like, our, the way we spend time and money is a reflection of our life, if you think about it. And a lot of us would be shocked if we really accurately, you know, had a ledger of all of our days and how much time we spent to different things and, you know, and it was totally accurate in our checkbook or whatever, visa bills, and how we spent our money and we actually looked at it. A lot of us would be shocked. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe I spent so much time on Facebook. I cannot believe I spent so much time wasting on email or whatever. I'm just giving examples. I can't believe how much money I spent on Tim Hortons. That would probably be my thing. <laughs> right? And, and I'm just saying that's all of this stuff really matters. Now, to be, on, to be sure, I'm not trying to get us in this whole thing. Oh, my goodness, I can't buy Tim Hortons. No. My point is your time is so precious. Your time can, there's nothing more precious than time. Because like I said, we have like a minute in the grand scheme of things, it's like zero time. James chapter 4 calls it a vapor. This life is a vapor in the grand scheme of eternity. We have a moment to live for God. It's a moment. And, and how we live every day really, really matters. It's cumulative. Okay? So I just, I want us to grasp that weightiness knowing, yeah, like it, it does matter. Now, Right? There's balance. I'm not saying you have to, like, just be a nutcase and, I don't know, whatever. You get it. Right? But my point is, Jesus is going to assess all of that stuff. So we don't want to live even a day in compromise. We don't want to just go and, like, hey, uh, you know, I'm just going to not think about the Lord this week and do whatever. Or eat and repent after. That's horrendous. Because <laughs> you, you have to give account for that. So we don't want to waste one single day, never mind years, in compromise. Right? So... Saved, but your life was wasted. I already kind of uh, got ahead of myself, but I wanted to focus on time because time really matters, like I was saying. And, and this is something we can all relate to. Um, I remember Carol Arnott had a, a vision. Uh, it was actually this whole experience, and, and I'll just tell you the, the point of it rather than telling the whole backstory because it had to do with this pearl necklace and stuff. Anyway, the Lord spoke to her about the pearl of great price. You know in the parable where the guy sold his field? for the pearl of great price, and he said, your time is the pearl of great price. Your time. So you can either spend your time, right, growing in the things of the Lord, growing in intimacy with the Lord or whatever, or waste it. You can think of your time as a sacrifice to the Lord. How you spend that time every single day matters. So let's think, let's shift our perspective and think, yeah, I only have a limited of time, even if you're 80, 90, whatever, you still can live those last years of your life totally on fire for the Lord. It's not too late. I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. Uh, how many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Look, like, what, 90% of us. Did you know he didn't start his ministry until he was 55? 
He was a plumber. Yeah. And he lived like, he, I don't even have to, I'll try and remember. I think he was a plumber. He didn't even like, like, I don't even know if he was saved till like later. His wife was really on fire. She died. He started his ministry. 55 totally changed the world. We all know who he is. Never too late. So I want you to, I want to say that and trumpet that so that we don't get in this like, oh man, I wasted so many years. Okay. If that's true, talked about this last time, there's a reset button. There's a delete button. Repent, right? And get back on track. God is merciful. And then you can live those last years, be the next Smith Wigglesworth and totally, right? Change the world for the Lord. So it's never too late. That's the other side of this. It's never too late. And I don't want this to get in this like, oh man. Now, if you're experiencing that in the Lord, that's good. Because it's like, hey, the Holy Spirit might be saying, okay, I want you to repent. Okay, but the, the awesome thing is you can repent by the blood of Jesus, right? You can repent, and that's the beauty of being a Christian, is that we can always repent. It's never too late. With that being said, we got to repent. That means changing our, our path, right? Getting back on the right road. Okay. So, talked about this, 2 Corinthians 5.10 Right, we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So, what is the bad? It's a good question because we're talking about believers, and I already talked about some of it. Bad could be persistent sin that you're not repenting of. Okay, that stuff that you just refuse to repent, you rationalize, you justify. It's amazing how easy it is to justify sin, isn't it? So and so treated me bad, though. That's not going to make it. <laughs> That's not going to convince Jesus. You have to forgive. You have to repent. Okay, so that kind of goes without saying, so I don't want to spend too much time on that because we all know this. That's really Christianity 101. If you're in sin, persistent sin, I'm not talking about stumbling once in a while because, you know, we're all work in progress. I'm talking about persistent sin and refusing to repent or reconcile or whatever. That's what I'm talking about. But the second one is wasted years. Like I, I was already talking about, years spent in lukewarmness and compromise. Now, if you guys remember when I talked about the falling away, this is a verse I use. I'm just talking about two scriptures from this verse to remind us of how intense this is. This is Ezekiel 18. First in verse 24, it says, If righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things and act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. Get this. All their righteous acts will be forgotten. And they'll die for their sins. All the righteous acts will be... What's this saying? Okay, I lived... Well, I'm hypothetical now. Say you live 50 years on fire for the Lord. The last 15, you, you backslid, you're in sin, whatever. What's this saying? Lost. Forgotten. Now, on the other hand, I, I don't have these verses because it's not quite rele is relevant. It's talking about if wicked people repent, then all their wickedness will be forgotten. Okay, so that's good. <laughs> we can repent too, and all that bad stuff will be forgotten. But that's something we emphasize a lot. The sea of forgetfulness, God says, right, as far as the east is from the west, he's going to forget your sins. That's great, and that's true. But how come we don't ever hear this? Because this is also true. If you squander your latter years and go into sin, it's all forgotten too. And that's what I'm talking about, the wasted years. Therefore, this is verse 30 now, I will judge each of you according to your actions, says the sovereign Lord. Repent and turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you, but put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why, would, why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. So that's the beauty of it is we can turn back and repent and live. 
Okay, so that's, if the Lord's highlighting stuff to you, that's the beauty of it. Just repent. Okay, so I, t- I alluded to this. I mentioned this uh, uh, scripture earlier, 2 John 8. Look to yourselves. Take inventory. Take stock of yourselves. Okay, examine yourselves that you don't lose the things we work for, but that you may receive a full reward. Okay, remember I talked about this. So, give you an example. And this kind of example I was already playing with a little bit. You can be diligent for the Lord for, say, 10 years. Say in your 20s, 30s, totally on fire. And then you can live another way the next 10 years, the memory of your diligence in days past, you can lose what you've gained in God and not end up with a full reward. Does that make sense? Like I said, that 10 years in compromise, it's gone. The beauty of it, like I said, you can repent and be like Smith Wigglesworth and others. Moses didn't start his till he's 80, right? It's never too late. And he changed the world too. Look to yourself because you can lose the things which you've labored for in your earlier days and it's even possible that you'll not receive a full reward unless you look to yourselves. And this is, I'm giving us all an opportunity all these weeks to look at ourselves. That's really what I'm doing. I'm showing you scriptures on this stuff and you'd be like, let's just be open to the Holy Spirit's conviction and if he's convicting us, awesome. And we repent and every, right? And we can stand before the Lord with confidence. So this is really God's mercy to be thinking about these things regularly so that we can get back on track if we've gotten off, okay? Here's another verse, 1 John 2, 28. Now, little children, abide in him, talking about the Lord, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back away from him in shame at his coming, right? His exhortation is abide in the Lord, so that you can be confident before him and not shrink back, shrink back in shame. In other words, it's possible to be ashamed before the Lord on that day. That's what this is saying. But look to yourselves. Abide in him. Change your path if need be so that this doesn't happen. So you're not, you're not ashamed before him when he comes. So, so abide in him means living in him, fully given to him. That's our goal, to please him in everything we do. Every moment of every day, right? We should be considering, asking the Lord, what is it you want me to be doing today, Lord? That's what a true bondservant asks, right? We're all called to be disciples. We're called to disciple nations. What does it look like to be a disciple? It means, Lord, what do you want me to do? Every single day in this situation, how do you want me to respond? It's just living by the Spirit. Why abide in him? So that when he appears at his second coming, you have confidence when he appears and you're not drawing back in shame. So key point, people can be saved, right? All these scriptures are indicating this. You can be saved yet experience shame on that day. Now that doesn't mean condemnation. We're not talking about, right, um, being condemned to hell, God willing. What I'm talking about is they have regret. We've been talking about regret, right? Regret about how they spent their lives. Ashamed before the Lord. Like, right, you could imagine what that'd be like. Horrible. It means that when they meet Jesus face-to-face, they'll have a negative feeling about answering for how they spent their time, how they spent their money, all of it. Because like I said last week, and when I gave you scriptures, everything's getting exposed, exposed, everything, even your motives. It's all getting laid bare before the Lord, and we have to give account for everything. Now, my question, and this is just rhetorical, really, but how many believers on that day of their death, at the final moment, will say, oh, I wish I lived those last 10 years differently? Oh, no. Like, how many people, like, you, you hear that. They're on the last days in the deathbed. I wish I lived different. I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish, right? That's what I'm talking about. 
The bummer is they have to, in a moment, stand before the Lord and give an account for all that wasted time. Let's not be one of those people. So, I've done this before and I'm going to do it again. Um, How many of you have read The Final Quest? Oh, cool. Most of us. Okay. This book um, really radically impacted my life. In fact, I've read it like multiple times. Part of the reason... And it's kind of cool. I talked about this in the fall. I know some of you bought this book and said how impacted you were. Part of the reason, in the first book, there's three books in this series. It's Rick Joyner, by the way. You've heard of Rick Joyner? In the 90s, had these high-level encounters with the Lord. Like, I'm talking about he was in heaven. It's this whole thing. And there's, a, there's three books on it. I highly recommend it. Because there's a lot of revelation you can glean from it. What I love about this book, and seriously, what impacted me so, so much every time I read it, really, is that he spends probably a third to almost half the first book and a lot of portion of the second book in the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, and he interacts with people. Now, this is a visionary experience. Okay, all that to say, um, he's interacting with people who've experienced the judgment seat of Christ, and um, they're telling him, about all of this stuff that they wish they did differently, and there's so much to it that you can learn from. And it's all scriptural. That's the thing. It lines up with scripture, but it's really neat because there's people he knew throughout his life who are like, he's interacting with, like, man, it is such a blessing that you get to experience this before you die. Because if I had what you had, I would have lived totally different. So what I wanted to do is read you a a part of it from this book so you can just, like, put on your storytelling uh, hat now and, and listen, because it's so relevant to today's message, okay? So I'm going to just take some time with the first person he interacts with talking about eternal regret, okay? So this is Rick Joyner now in this visionary encounter in the throne room of, of Christ, a judgment scene of Christ. So the path soon opened into a hall so large that I did not think the earth itself could contain it. Its beauty could not even be described by any reference to human architecture, This exceeded the wonder of anything I had yet experienced, including the garden and the chamber that held the treasures of salvation, uh, stuff before in the book. By now, I was as overwhelmed with joy and beauty as I had been overwhelmed by darkness and fear just minutes before. I then understood that every time I had experienced great pain or darkness of soul, it had been followed by a much greater revelation of glory and peace. At the far end was the source of glory that was emanating from everything else in the room. I knew that it was the Lord himself. And though I had not seen him many times, or sorry, no, and though I had now seen him many times, I began to be a bit afraid as I walked toward him. However, this fear was a holy fear that only magnified the great joy and peace that I also felt. Not only was the judgment seat of Christ a source of more security than I'd ever experienced, but at the same time, it was the source of a greater and purer fear. I did not notice how great the distance was to the throne. It was so wonderful just to walk here that I did not care if it took me a thousand years to get there. In earthly terms, it did take me a very long time. In one sense, I felt it was days and another years, but somehow earthly time had no relevance here. My eyes were so fixed on the glory of the Lord that I walked a long time before I noticed that I was passing multitudes of people who were standing in ranks to my left. There were just as many to my right, but they were so far away that I could not see them until I reached the throne. As I looked at them, I had had to stop. 
They were dazzling, more regal than anything I'd ever experienced. Their countenances were captivating. Never had such peace and confidence graced human faces. Each one was beautiful beyond any earthly comparison. As I turned toward those who were close to me, they bowed in a greeting as though they recognized me. How is it that you know me, I asked, surprised at my own boldness to ask him a question. You're one of the saints fighting the last battle, a man close by responded. Everyone here knows you, as well as those who are now fighting on the earth. We are the saints who have served the Lord in the generations before you. We are the great cloud of witnesses who've been given the right to behold the last battle. We know all of you, and we see all that you do. To my surprise, I recognized someone I had known on earth. He had been a faithful believer, but I did not think he had ever done anything of significance. He was so unattractive physically on earth that it made him shy. Here, he had the same features, but was somehow more handsome than any person I'd ever known on the earth. He stepped up to me with an insurance and dignity that I had never seen before in him or in any man. Heaven's much greater than we could have dreamed while on earth, he began. This room is but the threshold of realms of glory that are far beyond our ability to comprehend. It is also true that the second death is much more terrible than we understood. Neither heaven nor hell are like what we thought they were. If I had known on earth what I know here, I would not have lived the way I did. You are greatly blessed to have been able to come here before you die, he said, looking at my garments. I then looked at myself. I still had the old mantle of humility. Remember when I talked about that? On. And the armor was still under it. I felt both foul and crude standing before those who were so glorious. I began to think that I was in serious trouble if I was going to appear before the Lord like this. Like the eagles, my old acquaintance could understand my thoughts. And he responded to them. Those who come here wearing that mantle of humility have nothing to fear. That mantle is the highest rank of honor. And it is why they all bowed to you when you passed by. I did not notice anyone bowing to me. I replied in a bit, a bit disconcerted. In fact, I didn't even notice anyone until just now. It is not improper. This is, that was Rick talking. It is not improper for someone to bow before you, he continued. Here we show each other the respect that is due. Even the angels serve us here, but only our God and his Christ are worshipped. There is a marked difference between honoring one another in love and worshipping them. If we had understood this on earth, we would have treated others very differently. It is here in the light of his glory that we can fully perceive and understand each other so we can relate properly. I was still ashamed. I had to restrain myself to keep from bowing down to those in the great hall, while at the same time wanting to hide myself because I felt so lowly. Then I began lamenting at the fact that my thoughts here were just as foolish as they were on the earth. And here everyone knew them. I felt both stained and stupid standing before those who were so awesome and pure. Again, my old acquaintance responded to these thoughts. We have our incorruptible bodies now, and you do not. Our minds are no longer hindered by sin. We're therefore able to easily comprehend what even the greatest earthly mind cannot fathom. And we will spend eternity growing in our ability to understand. This is so we can know the Father and understand the glory of his creation. On earth, you cannot even begin to understand what the least of these here knows. In fact, we are the least of those here. This is where I'm going. How could you be the least, I asked with disbelief. There's an aristocracy of sorts here, he said, or he answered. The rewards for our earthly lives are the eternal positions that we will have forever. This great multitude are those whom the Lord called foolish virgins. 
We knew the Lord and trusted in his cross for salvation, but we live for ourselves more than we really live for him. We did not keep our vessels filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. We have eternal life, but we wasted our lives on earth. Matthew 15, right? You guys know the parable of the foolish and wise virgins. I was greatly surprised by what he was telling me, but I also knew that no one could lie in that place. The foolish virgins gnashed their teeth in the outer darkness, I protested. And that we did. The grief we experienced when we understood how we had so wasted our lives was beyond any grief possible on earth. The darkness of that grief can only be understood by those who've experienced it. Such darkness is magnified when it's revealed next to the glory of the one we failed. You are standing among those in the lowest rank of heaven. There is no greater folly than to know the great salvation of God, but to then go on living for yourself. To come here and learn the reality of that is a grief beyond what any earthly soul can experience. We are those who suffered outer darkness because of the, this greatest of follies. I was still incredulous. But you're more glorious and full of joy and peace than I even imagine, even for those in heaven. I do not sense any remorse in you, and yet I know that you're, here you cannot lie. This does not make sense to me. Looking me straight in the eyes, he continued, The Lord also loves us with a love greater than you can yet understand. Before his judgment seat, I tasted the greatest remorse and darkness of soul that can be experienced. Though here we do not measure time as you do, it seemed to last for as long as my life on earth had lasted. All my sins and follies that I had not repented of passed before me and before all who were here. You cannot understand the grief of this until you've experienced it, he went on. I felt that I was in the deepest dungeon of hell. Even as I stood before the glory of the Lord, he was resolute until my life had been completely revealed. When I said I was sorry and asked for the mercy of the cross, he wiped away my tears and took away the darkness. I no longer feel the bitterness that I knew I, um, then as I stood before him, but I remember it. Here you can remember such things without continuing to feel the pain. In a moment, in the lowest part of heaven is much greater than the thousand years of the highest life on earth. Now my mourning at my folly has been turned into joy, and I know that I'll experience joy forever, even if I am the, in the lowest place of heaven. I began to think again of the treasures of salvation. Somehow I knew that all of this man had told me was revealed by those treasures. Every step I'd taken up the mountain or onto it, he'd revealed that his ways are both more fearful and more wonderful than I'd ever been able to comprehend before. Looking at me intently, my former acquaintance continued, you are not here just to gain understanding, but to be changed. The next level of rank in heaven has glory many times greater than what we have here. Each new level is that much greater than the previous one. It is not just that those on each level have even more glorious, a glorious spiritual body, but that of each level is closer to the throne from where all glory comes. Even so, I no longer feel the grief of my failure. I really deserve nothing. I'm here by grace alone, and I'm so thankful for what I have. He is so worthy to be loved. I could be doing many wondrous things right now in the different realms of heaven, but I would rather stay here and just behold his glory, even if I'm on the outer, outer fringes. Then with a distant look in his eyes, he added, everyone in heaven is now in this room to watch this great mystery unfold and to watch those of you who will fight the last battle. Can you see him from here? I asked. I see the glory far away, but cannot see him. I can see many times better than you can, he answered. And yes, I can see him and hear him. I can see all that as he's doing. He also gave us power to observe what's happening on earth. We are the great cloud of witnesses who are watching you and cheering you on. 
He bowed and then returned to the ranks. I began walking again, trying to understand all that he had said to me. As I looked over the great hosts that he said were the foolish virgins, the ones who had spiritually slept away their lives on earth, I knew that if any one of them appeared on earth now, they would be worshipped as gods. Yet they were the very least of those here who were here. I then began to think of all the time I had wasted in my own life. It was such an overwhelming thought that I had stopped. Then parts of my life began to pass before me. I began to experience a terrible grief over my sin. I too had been one of the greatest of fools. I may have kept more oil in my lamp than others, but now I knew how foolish I had been to measure what was required of me by how others were doing. I too was one of the foolish virgins. Wow. So then he can, continues on interacting with other people. But isn't that, isn't that amazing? That somebody who loved the Lord and was saved squandered their lives, and now he's at the least part of, the, of heaven. Just got in, everything burnt up, because he just lived selfishly. He just lived for himself. And that's what he regretted. Every single person when uh, that Rick Joyner meets in there said, if I knew... He, on earth, what I know now, I would have lived totally different, right? It's hard for us to understand. But in the grand scheme of things, when we are there on that day, we will know. And hopefully none of us will experience that regret that he said he experienced. It felt like a lifetime of regret, right, before the Lord because of how he wasted his life, how he wasted his time, how he didn't give it all for the Lord. And so that's why this, I, I'm saying this, this series especially this part of the series is so important for us as believers so that that won't be us in the outer fringes of heaven, but that will be ruling and reigning beside Christ, which is also possible depending how we live on this earth. So what should we do in light of all this? Living every day for that day, living from an eternal perspective. And that's really what this, like I said, this series is all about. Living our lives with an eternal perspective, knowing that every single thing we do is going to be judged on that day. So Jesus has the clarity of truth that cannot and will not bend on that day. Like I said, he cannot be manipulated. His, his judgments, his decisions on that day never will be revisited. They're eternal. And you can't change his mind. The fire will test what sort of work each man has. Whether When the fire comes, the temporary becomes evident and the eternal becomes evident. Remember we talked about that. Uh, the wood, hay, and uh, stubble are the uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. The eternal are the thing. Now, the, get this. The, the eternal are the things of humility, obedience to the Lord, pouring ourselves out in the presence of God, serving one another, taking the last place, locking into him, and finding our approval from him, not from people. The eternal. Not... Right? Not pride, not disobedience. All that stuff is going to be burnt up. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. I love this verse. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So he's saying we need to fix our eyes on the eternal. We need to, not on this temporal realm, even though, yeah, we have momentary afflictions that are difficult and trials and all that. If we fix our eyes on heaven, on the eternal, that's, that's how we get through it. And that's what really matters. Because like I said, we have one life to live before the Lord in this context of evil. 
and to give it all for him. So a key point is we don't want to look at things that are, un, that are seen because they're temporal and they're going to be burnt up. We want to invest our life in things that are unseen and that you cannot measure, like humility. So every moment of every day, we have two simple but major choices. This is all throughout the New Testament, okay? We'll either gravitate towards the flesh, the temporal, or we'll gravitate towards the spirit, the eternal. So this is Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now this is in the context. In chapter 5, he talks about Walking by the spirit, not by the flesh. And then he lists 19 lusts of the flesh in in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Then he talks about the fruit of the spirit. That's what he's talking about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All these things. So that's this context. Sowing to the spirit, that's the eternal. Sowing to the flesh, all that other stuff he lists, that's going to be burnt up. So living, yeah, living for the flesh, just to put it back in context to the verse I read earlier, is the wood, hay, and stubble. And that's going to be burnt up. Living for the Spirit is eternal and is likened to gold, silver, and precious stones. And that's, those are the things that are going to be eternally rewarded. So we want to live for the Spirit, not for the flesh. So that's the point. Let's make it our goal. That's what Paul said, right? I started off with that verse from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Make it our goal in life to please him. Whether in the body or out of the body, that's our goal in life. Make it our goal to live completely for Jesus. That's how we live with an eternal perspective. Let's live like Paul did. Paul was a great example of someone who abandoned himself completely to the Lord. I love this verse, Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Right? In Philippians 3, he says, I consider it all as loss, all as garbage, so that I may know Christ. All this stuff I could pride myself in, right? Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? He was a student under Galileo. He was all these things that in the flesh he could boast about, but he's like, all rubbish, so that I could know Christ. So I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Everything is Christ. Everything. Now, I want, to, I want a moment just to examine ourselves here. Based on this, can we, if we, right, I talked about 2 John 8, where it says, look to yourselves that you would have confidence on that day, right? That you won't lose what you've worked so hard for and you get a full reward. If we look to ourselves, and I'm giving us an opportunity to examine ourselves is what I'm saying. If you're really honest with yourself, can you truly say that to live is Christ? And to die is gain. Is this the motto of your life? Or are other things in the way of that being your motto of life? So let me give you an example. There's a lot of things we can put in place of Christ. Our profession. Our weekends. Living for the weekends. Remember that song? (laughs) Our earnings. Retirement. Talked about that before. Honor, fame, reputation. The list goes on. All of those things, if we don't have our priorities right, can get in the way 
of saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, if you don't think so, just watch where we put our energies and watch how we walk and live. Like, right, what are we putting all, most of our time in? What are we putting most of our money into? What are our thoughts engaged in most of the time? If we're really honest with ourselves, maybe it's not on this list, but is it your profession? Is it how much money you're making? Is it for reputation? That's what I'm talking about. And unfortunately, often Christ is just added onto our daily lives. What, right? It's like this and Christ. But for Paul, his motto was to live, to live as Christ. Everything, everything is for Christ. So everything's focused and centered on Jesus Christ. If this was true of us, it would totally change our priorities, right? If, if this was truly our model in life, to live as Christ and to die as gain, our lives, our priorities, everything would be different. Passion for Christ is the only thing that counts. The only thing that counts is life in Christ, in this life. Passion for Jesus. Giving it all for him. Being the wise virgins not the foolish ones who squandered their lives on earth. Nothing else on this earth really matters. All the rest is temporal stuff, and it's just stuff. It just gets in the way. It can get in the way. Now, with that being said, it's not to say that stuff is wrong, okay? Paul didn't give up stuff, right? He was still a tent maker, right? He didn't. So the point is, it's okay to live abundantly in this world, but never being sidetracked by this stuff, by this other stuff that can get in the way from making him first place in our lives. Okay? That's the singular thing. My, is to be, this should be it, that my life reflects the glory of God in Christ Jesus. It has to do with the absolute centering place in your life. Everything is Christ. Everything's summed up in him. So good news. <laughs> Like I said earlier, if we've been sidetracked, if, as I've been speaking, the Lord's been convicting you of wasting time, of wasting money, whatever, the good news is we can repent. Okay? So, and ask God to forgive you for all that you've allowed to keep you from obeying his will in your life. Repentance is awesome. Forgiveness is glorious. Like I said, these messages are really just an opportunity for us to repent if we need to. And, you know, if the Holy Spirit's been convicting you about stuff in this message. You know, I already talked about Smith Wigglesworth and Moses, right? He started in his 80s. It's never too late. It's never too late. Now, I love this psalm, uh, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's a great prayer. The NLT, I love it, says, teach us the brevity of life. How short this life is so that we may gain a heart of wisdom and live this life fully for God, right? That's what it comes down to. Let's not be one of the foolish virgins who wasted their lives and feel that sting of regret when we meet them on that day. Cool. Here's Trisha. I just want to add something to that, that as you're examining your heart before the Lord, just to not feel like... Um, it's a matter of good things and bad things or a matter of I spent eight hours at work and two hours with the Lord, therefore my life is not balanced. It's not about that at all. So I just want to clear any shame, anything feeling like that. And also just it's, it's about 
doing what the Lord has called you to do. So if the Lord has called you to work eight or nine hours in a day and you only have two hours to spend alone with God, doesn't mean that you're not spending that time at your job with the Lord and in obedience. So when you're examining your heart, you're just examining your own obedience before God, not necessarily if you're spending a certain amount of time doing things that are quote unquote godly. Does that make sense? Okay. That is awesome, Trisha. Thank you. Because that's true. Uh, we're going to be held accountable for uh, how, how we spend our lives in, in obedience to God. He might be telling you to work 12 hours a day, right? So I'm not, yeah, I thank you for that. Because that's right. I'm not saying you have to quit your job. and No way. Because if you're called to be an accountant, right, and you quit your job and you go to some house of prayer or something for, and that's it, you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to be like, okay, wait, I called you to be an accountant. And you're going to be so regretful, oh my goodness, I went and quit my job and did this thing when it wasn't even the Lord. Now, some people might be called to that. My point is, you need to do what God's calling you to do. If it's being a lawyer, you have to be a lawyer. And I'm going to be, and that's good, because I was going to be talking about this in, in sessions to come about our callings, because we're going to be held accountable for it, and that's a great point. I remember Rick Joyner saying that the Lord rebuked him once because he said, These, there's some business people who work like their whole weeks, but the time they have in their spare time, they devote it totally to me, even though it's way less relative to you because you're in full-time ministry. You're, squ- you're being so lackadaisical with the time I'm giving you, right? And, and he, I, he was rebuked because that's just it. If you're called to be a business person and you work a lot, that's being faithful to what God's entrusted with you. Yeah, absolutely. So that's good. I want that to be clear as well. Thank you, Tricia. So if, if though, right, no condemnation. Messages like these, and that's the challenge, is that they can bring condemnation. The enemy can come in and try and make you feel guilty. That's not what I'm trying, that's not my point here. Now, the difference, and I've said this before, but I want to make it clear, the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation, it says in Romans 8, uh, uh, verse 1, that there's no now no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. Condemnation makes you f- turn away from the Lord. Meaning, if you're feeling condemned, you're like, I'm so unworthy, I don't even want to seek the Lord, I don't want to pray, I don't want to go to church because I feel so bad about what I did. That is not God. That's the devil. Conviction makes you turn to God. Conviction says, I want to be just like Jesus, and there's this thing in my life I need to turn so I can be more like him, and it actually increases intimacy. So that's how you can tell the difference, the fruit of condemnation versus conviction. Conviction draws you closer to the Lord. It's like in in Hebrews 4, it says, Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy for your failures and find grace to help you in your time of need. That's in the context of failing. So when you fail and you stumble, he says, come boldly to my throne of grace. Don't run away from me. Come boldly to me and get that grace and mercy you need. So that's what this is about. So if we were, is that, if I was speaking, if the Lord's been convicting you on any point or, or whatever, maybe it wasn't something I was giving you. I just want us to, I want to pray for us and give us an opportunity, if need be, to repent and get right with the Lord. So Father, I just thank you so much for this amazing opportunity to look to ourselves as you say that we would receive a full reward and that we'd be totally completely confident before you on that day lord i just ask that holy spirit if you've been convicting us that you would give us the grace that we need to repent if need be to get back on the path of life so that when we meet you one day we'd have full confidence lord i ask for the grace not to rationalize 
or justify sin, but to call sin, sin, confess it, repent, and hit the delete button so we can move on fully to you like David did, rather than justifying it like Saul did. Lord, I ask that you would give us that grace so that we would, even if we stumble, come boldly to you and get that mercy in our failures and find that grace to help us in our time of need. So Lord, as we're examining ourselves, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you reveal if there's anything that's putting in, uh, getting in between us and living fully for you. The temporal things, the things that don't matter, whether it's time, money, whatever we're investing ourselves in. And Lord, that you'd give us the grace also to live as you love to us to play in your presence and to have the rest and the Sabbath and all those amazing things that you uh, give us to enjoy. So I just ask, Lord, for revelation of the radical middle, learning to walk in truth, holding truth and tension so that we would stay on the path of life and live fully, completely abandoned to you in the grace of God and be an amazing example to everyone around us so that people would be attracted to Christ and would come totally surrender to you as a result of our lives being a message of your gospel to them. So as we sit here, Lord, I just ask that you uh, enable us to, to turn from those things that you're revealing to us and that you would just give us the grace to walk these things out. Lord, I ask that every single person under the sound of my voice would be able to stand before you one day and that you would give them a rich welcome to the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in few things. I'm going to give you authority over many things enter into the joy of, of your master. So Lord, we just ask that that would be our, every single person here's assessment before you on that day. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your grace. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for your great love that you have for all of us. Be with us as we walk this out. In Jesus' name, amen.